0: You feasted on Christmas lunch, dinner, the last week or so, leftovers. The last few weeks we've been feasting on the word of God in Matthew's gospel, particularly the Christmas narrative of Matthew 1 and 2. This morning, Matthew actually jumps about 25 to 30 years in time, just in the space of end of chapter 2 to chapter 3, and we have the ministry of John the Baptist introducing Jesus' public life and ministry. John the Baptist comes... To prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus' life, his public life and ministry doesn't begin until he is baptized by John. And until John has actually come, as we've heard, he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. I don't know if you're a cycling enthusiast or not. Uh, maybe you detest having to wait behind rows and rows of cyclists legally riding two abreast in the hills, uh, and you have to wait and wait and wait uh, for those lycra-clad men and women as they have their lattes in the Adelaide Hills. But um, every year or so, we have the Tour Down Under come through, and in chunga where we live, we often have them coming through the main street, sometimes with a street finish. If you've ever stopped and watched something like that, uh, you'll know that about half an hour before any cyclist ever reaches your road... There's police cars, there's sirens wailing, there's helicopter, there's media, there's officials, there's all this hullabaloo going on before you even see one cyclist. And they are clearing the way. Lots and lots of motorbike police, riding up, blocking a street here, blocking a street there, making sure the path is clear so that the cyclists can get on their way and do their thing, hoping to win the the circuit, win the stage and don a jersey of a certain colour so that they can make their way to their path to glory and to be honest for all the time it takes to set that up and set up the main street and all the bollards and things and all the build-up and excitement all the noise and anticipation unless there's a breakaway group or someone really slow at the back when the cyclists actually come it's like whoosh zing and that's it seriously It takes about five seconds for 100 cyclists, they're all in one hit, just to go zim past, and all you hear is the rattle of their pedals going on their wheels, and that's it, it's gone. They are intent, they hardly know you're standing there watching, they just zip by intent on that jersey at the end of it. But in our case, here this morning, and John the Baptist as he preaches, his intent is for a whole different race altogether, isn't it? Not a cycling race, but one of life and faith. The goal, the tell us for us, is not that we'd don on a certain coloured jersey, but actually that we'd be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And it's not a whole bunch of police, motorbikes, and helicopters and officials that come preparing the way, it's a lone prophet dressed in camel's hair. He comes preparing the way for the Lord, making the path clear. For the cyclists, that happens, as I said, a whole lot of bollards, police, sirens, wailing. How does a prophet prepare the way for the Lord? How does John the Baptist come and prepare the way for the Lord? Before we look in Matthew, John's own father predicts how John will prepare the way in Luke 3. When John is born, Zechariah has this prophecy, as has this song we call Zechariah's song. John the Baptist comes preparing the way of the Lord, giving us knowledge of God's salvation for us, forgiveness of sins, revealing to us the tender mercy of God, shining a light into darkness and giving us a path towards peace. Coming here this morning, listening to the news, and there's more missiles being thrown over Ukraine maybe in your own home we need a path of peace don't we how do we how we guide into peace today we need these things how is it john the baptist does that well matthew tells us in those days john the baptist came preaching he speaks the word of god into the world into the life of all people sinners hear god's word And that's how John prepares the way of the Lord. He comes preaching. (coughs) The way of the Lord is prepared here on earth and in our own hearts by the preaching of the word, by the truth of God being declared in the world and to us personally, his promises, his character, his covenant love, his holiness, his judgment, the king's coming, his tender mercy, his kingdom. And that mode of preparation, John the Baptist came preaching, God still chooses that mode to prepare our hearts, his word to us. It's not the only way, but it's the primary way God actually comes and prepares the way through the word. And as I said, there's been almost 30 years between the end of chapter two and chapter three And before that, there's been around 400 years where there hasn't been much preaching. There hasn't been a prophetic word from the Old Testament through to the new, through to the time of John the Baptist. He breaks 400 years of silence. He comes preaching, bringing the word of God into a dark world. The last verses of our Old Testament say this from Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, what will he do? He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Unless our hearts are turned, destruction is what awaits us. And here he is, John the Baptist, coming in the spirit of Elijah. There are a lot of parallels we could talk about with Elijah and John the Baptist, but he himself and Jesus declares he is that one coming in the spirit of Elijah. And you may not be all that much to look at, John the Baptist. If you came to church this morning, you probably would rather he didn't sit next to you. If we're honest. (laughs) Stinky camel hair for clothes. Bits of locust wings and wild honey dripping from his beard not very tidy fellow we probably think is a hobo or some homeless person but he comes preaching he knows god and he's got a word that he needs to bring a word on his heart that we need to hear and whilst at first we may not want him to sit next to us have a listen to how many come to gather around him might change our ways mightn't it Jerusalem and all Judea, verse 5, and all the region from the Jordan, we're going out to this prophet, John the Baptist. There's a lot of people coming to hear what he's got to say. 400 years of silence, they're eager to hear God's word again. He comes preaching. And what's the content of his sermon? Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Three times in this passage, three times repentance is mentioned. Verse 2, verse 8, verse 11, and this confession of sin as well. It's the key to John's preaching. It's his big idea if you've done preaching courses. It's his main point. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something we've lost to a fair degree today, isn't it? The notion of repentance not just the notion of it actually the command john begins his sermon with a command repent not just a nice idea to go away oh, It was all right i didn't mind that i agree with it no do something repent in fact it's the same word exactly that jesus uses when he starts his ministry in the next chapter in chapter four of matthew Jesus' very first sermon begins with those words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These are words worth taking to heart, aren't they? These are words worth responding to. (laughs) If you're commanded, you need to respond to it, either in rebellion or receiving that command and doing it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the notion of God's kingdom coming, it's not just an area, it's not just castles and big trees and a forest that he's built up with a you know, bridge and a moat and there's God's kingdom. It's not quite like that. God's kingdom is, the king is coming and his reign, his rule, his sovereign power and authority is coming. Take your crowns off, as the kids heard, because the real king is coming. He's powerful, he's mighty, he has the authority to judge, to condemn or to pardon to execute justice or to show mercy. Probably seen one of those symbols before. Big thumbs up emoji. What does that mean? It means you like something, doesn't it? Use them on our phones these days. Back in the first century, gestures like that weren't just, yeah, I like it or I don't like it. Think about what a symbol like that was used in the first century. It's what the Roman emperors Or the rulers or those who hosted the arena, the games in the arena used, your life, your fate was determined by a thumbs up or a thumbs down by the king, the emperor of the day. You lived or died solely at the mercy, especially if you were a Christian in the arena, in the Colosseum with the gladiators. You lived or died solely at the mercy of the ruler of that time. And now John the Baptist is declaring the Lord of hosts himself is coming. Your destiny, your fate lies in his hands. Now is the time to get ready. Prepare the way. The Lord is coming. That's very much the message and the motive of John's preaching here. Repent. The king is coming. Prepare yourself, prepare your hearts, prepare your lives for the coming king. And many from Jerusalem and Judea and all the surrounding regions came. How wonderful that. It's like revival in God's own land. Coming, repenting, confessing their sins and being baptised by John. But we're told there's others who came too. In verse 7, John saw them coming from a distance. They came even to be baptised themselves. I think actually would have been quite a thing. For people to have been hiding their own guilt and shame in religiosity... It's a nice place to hide guilt and shame, isn't it, in religion? For them actually to come out publicly to be baptised, that's what it said, that'd be a big thing. But John, being a prophet with the insight of the Lord, he sees into their heart, and his message to them is a little bit more of a cutting edge to it. When John saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, serpents, snakes, Not very kind words, are they? Harsh words. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. They were coming to be baptised, just as the crowds were. But as I said, as a prophet of the Lord, John's given insight into their heart. They're coming not with a heart of genuine repentance, they're coming just to show themselves righteous. And they're actually coming with a presumptuous heart. They may well want to escape the coming wrath. Who is this one coming? John's there, prepare the way of the Lord. They want to escape the coming wrath. John says that. Who, who warned you? But that's different than genuine repentance. Just wanting not to be in trouble is different than actually the transformation that repentance involves. You see, genuine repentance is not a one-off event, as we often think it is. It's not a one-off emotion. It actually lasts, and it bears fruit that remains, bears fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, repentance is not just a transaction that happens once. It's actually a transformation. Repentance is not a transaction. It's a transformation. And John is warning his hearers here, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all those law-abiding, church-going in their day, people, the religious upper class. He is warning those who presume they've got it all sorted out, including their salvation, that maybe they haven't got it sorted out. He warns them, make sure your repentance is genuine because when Jesus comes, he will sift the wheat from the chaff. He will discern the pretenders. From the real deal. His winnowing fork, we're told, is in his hand, verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn. Winnowing forks like a pitchfork or a garden rake throws up all the wheat with all the stalks as well as the grain and the stalks and all the loose stuff flies off in the slightest of breeze and the heavy grain falls to the ground. It sifts and divides, it separates. This winnowing fork is used to clear the threshing floor as well as to gather the grain. But John's not really talking about wheat and chaff, is he? He's talking about those who are truly children of God and those who are not. He's talking about those who come with genuine faith and repentance and trust in God for their salvation and those who are presuming upon themselves their own performance, their own pedigree. He's actually talking about those that God is going to gather to himself as his own children and those who will be cleared away to burn with unquenchable fire. It's a hearty message for New Year's Day, isn't it? And that winnowing fork, I think, comes in a variety of different forms. Parable of the Sower teaches us that, doesn't it? The worries of this world, the riches of this world, the evil one comes, stops the seed from growing, stops the plant from bearing fruit. Sufferings and trials can sift the wheat from the chaff. So do riches and worries of this world. The word itself does that, penetrating to the heart and dividing. COVID's done it. The pandemic. The pandemic. Many churches have lost members and attendees because, oh, all of a sudden there's a different option, I can stay at home. And after, oh, actually, I don't really think I was much into that anyway. It's been a sifting time and a galvanising time, a clearing and a gathering, hasn't it? Don't presume, John says to this group here who are coming to him, Coming and listening to the word of God, coming out to the wilderness to be baptised, it's good. Hear the word preached, that's good. But on its own, it's not enough. Coming to church with your family. We're blessed here with two, three generations in some families at Corrie. It's great joy, isn't it? Young people, if your parents are here, if your grandparents are here, don't presume that that's enough. Because it's not. It's good wonderful blessing and privilege to grow up in a believing family a covenant family to know god's blessings and to hear his word but there's a word here for all of us to hear repent even being baptized sadly my 11 years here i've baptized people who i would have to say from what i know of their lives are no longer bearing fruit in keeping with repentance We need to meet the king. We need to come before Jesus. We need him to actually receive us. And that only happens in mercy and grace. Not by any presumption. Not by our pedigree. Not by our parents' faith. But by his mercy and his grace. Which we find is there for us when we turn to him. Which is what repentance is. The issue at hand for the Pharisees and Sadducees is not that necessarily they weren't good enough, none of us are. But the issue John points out is that they were relying on their family ties, on their pedigree. They presumed because Abraham was their father that they were in, that they were saved. What did John say to them? You brood of vipers, who warned you? Don't presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. You see, God, if he wants to, he'll raise up children of his own, not from Abraham, but from stones. God can get his children from anywhere. And not just that. He doesn't need our birth certificate. He doesn't want our birth certificate or our church attendance record to adopt us into his family. He could, Like I said, he could get them from lifeless, nameless stones. But he's also ready and willing, if need be, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. He's ready to cut them off altogether. It's a drastic word. The axe has been sharpened, it's honed to an edge and it's about to swing at the very root of the tree for any branch that does not bear fruit. Now that sounds like a severe word, doesn't it? Not a very merciful and gracious or gospel-like way to start 2023. But that is actually how we are prepared to receive the gospel, to receive Christ and to come into God's family. Jesus himself used a similar image. John 15, remember, I'm the vine. God's a vine dresser. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me if you bear much fruit. Great. If you don't, what happens? Those branches will be cut off and they'll be burned. That warning still counts. The word of God is sharper than a two edged sword. It sifts, it divides, penetrates. And that sifting and dividing is still taking place. This is how the way is prepared for the Lord. You see, our response to the gospel, and the gospel is the King is coming, Jesus is Lord. It needs to be more than just a, yeah, that's good, nice sermon, Ray, thanks for that, I like that. No, it actually needs to transform our hearts. In the Old Testament it said, circumcise your heart, change your ways if there's no transformation in our lives, if there's no fruit in keeping with repentance, John's words to the Pharisees and Sadducees here, we need to take on board. Unless that word comes to us and pierces our heart, discerning our thoughts, our minds, our intentions, and transforms us by the power of the Spirit, we are lost. The way of the Lord is prepared, actually, when our sin is revealed, as much as we might squirm in that thought, as uncomfortable as that might be, when the light shines in the darkness, that was what uh, Zachariah said John would do, give a light to those in darkness. Only when we actually come realising that we have nothing before us but a thumbs-down verdict, deserving only judgement. Then our hearts are prepared to receive the grace of God. Think of Isaiah when he saw God in that vision. Holy, holy, holy. What does he do? He falls down. He says, Woe is me, I am lost. Think of Peter in the boat. He's confronted with Jesus, who can steal the wind and the waves. Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. The way is prepared. But see, the way is prepared, but the gospel doesn't leave us there in our guilt and our shame and our fear, in our sin. The way is prepared, our hearts are exposed by this word and by the holiness of God so that we might turn to him for mercy and grace in repentance and faith. So that we might turn to the only one who can save us. Genuine repentance begins with a revelation of our sin, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't leave us there in hopeless guilt and grief. It urges us and commands us to turn from that sin and turn to God in Christ, to bow down before him in reverence and fear and ask for mercy. The psalmist puts it so candidly, if the Lord should mark our iniquities... If our sins were counted against us, who could stand? No one, not one of us. But with the Lord, it goes on, it doesn't leave us there. With the Lord, there is forgiveness, there is plentiful, there is steadfast love, there is full redemption. Jesus himself says, Repent or else you too will perish. There's no thumbs up from God without this repentance. And John tells the religious leaders to bear fruit in keeping with this repentance. What does that look like? What does that mean, to bear fruit in keeping with this repentance? We can talk about repentance and the theory of and what, but what does it actually mean in life? Is that me? We'll go back one. Sorry, David. Luke gives us a little hint again because he actually expounds a little bit more of what Jesus said here to the Pharisees in Luke 3. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, they wanted to know, what do we do then? He said, well, whoever has two tunics, share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. If you're a tax collector, what shall we do? Well, collect no more than you're authorised to do. Soldiers ask him, what shall we do? Don't extort money by threats or false accusation. Be content with your wages. See, in one sense, repentance is different for each of us depending on our situation, depending on what God's given us or what we don't have, on our roles, our status so we can't say to someone you're you're not showing fruit of repentance because my fruit's different to yours it's different but in another sense it's all the same because literally as we've just we've got on the screen now repentance means a change of mind metanoia your nous, your mind meta change it means a change of mind but it's not just a decision it's a change of mind followed or accompanied by an action It's a turning away from the life and way of sin and turning to God in faith. It's doing what your GPS or your Google Maps tells you to do when you're going wrong direction, turn around, that sort of thing, and actually doing it. Otherwise, it's going to keep at you, isn't it? At the next exit, do a U-turn, whatever it says. That's what repentance is, turn around. You're going the wrong direction. Okay, I'm going the wrong direction, I've changed my mind. No, you actually need to turn around. The action must follow the decision. And this is not just Siri or Google or whatever telling you what to do. It's God. And it's not just your geographic destination that's at stake. It's our eternal one. Turn around. If you're heading into darkness, if you're heading the way of the world, you're heading into sin, you're going to be with a chaff that's blown away and ends up with unquenchable fire. Want to go there? Do a U-turn right now. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The winnowing fork is in his hand. The axe is laid at the root of the trees. Now, it's not our fruit that we keep, all those actions that actually save us. Christ saves us, doesn't he? It's not even our repentance that saves us. Christ does that. But the fruit... Is evidence of the repentance, the ongoing fruit, the way of life. It doesn't mean we're going to live the perfect life and never sin, but it means we hate our sin and we want to run away from it and turn to Christ and run to Him all the more. Repentance is more than just an event or an emotion. I feel sorry for my sin. It's more than that emotion you might have had when you're a teenager and you took the altar call up at the big youth rally. I don't have too many of them these days, but some of us went to those things. It's more than that. It's more than what you've just said and done at your baptism. As good as that is, that public declaration of your faith and receiving the grace of God, because it's an ongoing as... Now we have Luther. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said repent, he meant that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance a constant going in that direction towards God and away from sin. And when we find ourselves going back here, turning again and again, because I don't know about you, but I'm not always in that right direction. Are you? You find yourself falling back into old ways, getting angry, greedy, lustful, sinful. Turn to God. Where? Why? Because with him there's forgiveness. Repentance is not just remorse for our sin. That just makes us feel guilty and full of grief. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, there's a godly grief that actually leads to repentance. A grief about, I don't want to do doing that. I want this new life Christ has for me. I want to live in the freedom and joy of my salvation and not be under slavery to sin anymore. That godly grief leads to repentance without regret, which leads to joy in our salvation. It's a radical reversal for us, a U-turn, a transformation, which we can only do, not in our own strength, but with the help and grace of God, which is why I think Jesus says, or John says Jesus is coming and he's going to baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You get all the help we need to live this life of repentance. It's choosing to love instead of being selfish. Choosing to say no to sin and yes to Christ no longer covering up our sin but confessing it to God and doing something about it. Cut up the credit card. Put away the device. Take action with the decision. It's leaning not on our own self and our path of self-reliance but leaning on God always. One path leads to death, the other leads to life. You want an example of that sort of turnaround? Think of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. When Jesus came and ate with him. Salvation has come to this house. Why? His life's been turned around. I'm going to give back four times everything I've taken from anyone unfairly. And I'm going to give to the poor half of what I own. That's the sort of transformation repentance brings about. That's the fruit in keeping with repentance. In comparison, say, to the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Well, keep the commandments. I've done that. Give away what you've got. Oh, don't want to do that. Don't want that sort of U-turn. Yes, I want eternal life, but I don't want to change my life around. The Christian life is a life of repentance. Not a sombre, discouraging, despairing life, but actually one of joy and liberty, one of relief and worship, Because when we repent, we actually find God is full of forgiveness and mercy and grace. And he receives us, sinners like me and you. It wasn't by design that this morning's passage fell on New Year's Day. More by coincidence. But why not this New Year's Day? This is not a call to make a New Year's resolution. This is a command from God himself repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand turn your life around now if you haven't already and maybe you did way back when and you thought that was it that was enough and you've presumed on that and it doesn't matter how you go about your life now no today's a good day to say hey I actually need to remember this is for every day every day from here on in turn from sin and turn towards Christ firstly for the mercy and grace we need and his forgiveness and secondly, turn to Him so that we'd have what we need to walk towards Him by faith each and every day. Lord knows we need His grace and help for that. See, we don't hear much about repentance these days, do we? It actually rings a little bit, ooh, hang on, that's a bit stark in our ears. But I wonder if that's because we've lost our, the sense of seriousness of our sin. Not just because we've forgotten to preach part of the gospel. We've actually rather our sin wasn't that important, or not that significant that we need to repent. But we do. To the degree that we think our sin is insignificant, we will not preach repentance and we will not repent. But when we see the holiness of God, when we see where we're headed, if we don't turn to Him, we'd better hear it, we'd better preach it, and we'd better repent. Because the, uh, Paul's preaching echoes through together with John's. Times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he's fixed today when Jesus is coming. He's raised him from the dead to show us. The king's coming. It might sound like a hard word. I haven't called any of you a brood of vipers yet. It is a serious word, isn't it? But it's a holy word and it's a word of strong and holy love because unless we repent, we too will perish. There's no need for the gospel if there's no judgment to be safe from. There's no need to repent if it doesn't matter where we're headed. This is a word not only from John and not only from Pastor Ray, this is a word from God who wants none to perish. Do you know that verse from Peter? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach... What's the contrast to perish? What's the opposite Peter uses? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Have you reached that place? Has God brought you to that place? As I said, maybe you were there once, but you've since moved on, thinking that was back then. We actually need to be there now, every day. Let's not presume upon anything but Christ and the cross for our salvation. Let's not receive the grace of God in vain. How would it be last week if everyone gave you Christmas presents, you said, no thanks, don't want any gifts, didn't open them? Friends, this is a gift, the grace of Repentance. God coming to you with this word, he's saying, receive this gift, take it, use it. It's life to you, this repentance. Sinclair Ferguson writes this. Faith alone is the instrument by which Christ is received and rested on as our saviour. Justification is by faith, not by repentance. Repentance is not the work we do to be saved. But faith cannot exist where there is no repentance. Repentance is as necessary to salvation by faith as the ankle is to walking. The one does not act apart from the other. I cannot come to Christ in faith without turning from sin in repentance. Faith is trusting in Christ. Repentance is turning from sin. They are two sides of the same coin belonging to Jesus. new year's day just to finish how would it be if i could promise you a year of comfort for 2023 be pretty good this word that john fulfills this one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make his path straight comes in the middle of the book of isaiah actually comes about two-thirds the way through chapters 1 to 39 about the coming judgment, about the rebellion and sin and faithlessness of Israel, of God's people. And then chapter 40, which is a major pivot point in the book of Isaiah. The last section ends with these words of judgment to Hezekiah where everything he has in the whole nation of God's people, everything they've stored up and trusted in, it's all going to be taken away. That's how chapter 39 ends. And then chapter 40 begins with these words. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places are plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When John the Baptist comes and fulfills that prophecy, these are the words, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not a harsh word. This is the comfort that God is speaking to his people. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. We won't know any true lasting comfort unless our sins are atoned for. Unless we come to God in repentance and faith and find mercy and grace in our time of need. What better way to start a new year? What better way to walk into any day, let alone New Year's Day? We're going to spend a moment in silent prayer and confession and then we're going to pray the prayer of confession that will be on the screen. Let's do that now. Let's pray together. Merciful God, our maker and our judge, we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart we have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We repent and are sorry for all our sins. Father, forgive us, strengthen us to love and obey you in newness of life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.